I think once you start to get passionate about something, a lot of your motivation, like basically all of your motivation will be intrinsic. So you'll be excited to get up and get to work and do what you like. And the energy and that passion to what you're doing, it'll radiate on your work and the people that you meet online, perhaps. So yeah, I think really listening to your gut, to what you like, is very important. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of Webflail. I'm your host, Jack, your failure connoisseur. And today my guest is Ilya Vanek. Now, you may have seen his award-winning work floating around the Twitter sphere because he's pumping out award-winning work monthly, it seems. He was nominated for Independent of the Year. He's been part of OK Devs. And he's worked with the likes of studios such as Holographic and Off-Brand. He, guys, he's had a hell of a Webflow career and he's only 21 years old. His new YouTube channel has already amassed a thousand subscribers with only five videos. Are you joking, Ilya? He's chilled, down to earth, Dutch vibes. And these are ideal for calming us mere mortals on how to use GSAP and more. Recently, he started his own no-code community in the Netherlands, too, with some mates. But has success come to Ilya without some bumps in the road? Of course not. That's why we're here. We're going to dig into some of these failures today. Saying yes to a branding project without asking enough questions. Not saying no, and therefore burning out and taking on personal projects without actually having the time for them. So, embrace and learn from failure in episode 52 of Webflail with Ilya van Egg. Ilya, welcome to Webflail. Thank you so much, Jack. Lovely intro. I'm very glad. And as I mentioned in that intro, you have done so much stuff already in your career. What drives you? How has this happened? Good question, actually. <laughs> I think it all started uh, by sharing my work online, getting my first real clients by myself and just doing my absolute best for the skills I had at the moment and then publishing it. And for whatever reason, some projects got picked up and they were liked by others and I got reached out to by more clients and some studios even. And I think the thing that drives me now is trying to push myself as a developer because I find that it gets very boring very quick if I have to do repetitive tasks all the time. So working on those websites that have got some nice animations or other complicated stuff going on, I find that it keeps me on edge to learn new things and to, you know, to improve my skills. It sounds like you're the type of person that is constantly looking at things and being like, how can we make this better? And I think that type of mindset is crucial to always improve every project and also look back at things that haven't gone quite right and being like how can we improve this like what went wrong and what can we do better next time and I think that's like a fundamental thing that I've noticed with successful web flowers that I've interviewed where they're just like yeah it's okay but let's improve it like what can we do better every single time you seem to have that personality trait is that is that right and I think that's your spot on Although it can be a bit of a trap sometimes as well, you know, never being satisfied with the work that's being put out. And like the moment I might hit publish or tweet or whatever, 
then I might see little things that I didn't notice before and they might actually be like a pixel uh, somewhere that's floating around and that I don't like and it can jeopardize my entire feeling towards that project looking back at it but you know just that shouldn't be the judgment after all I think and also I imagine that you know you being around studios like holographic off-brand you know you've worked with Melissa Mendez Joseph Berry you know these types of people that just raise your level and probably make you even more aware of things that like might be a tiny bit wrong that you've got to fix and stuff I mean what's that experience been like working with those types of people that are maybe like years ahead of you in experience but you can learn so much from Uh, very pleasant (laughs) challenging at times uh, but in a good way and it's um like when working with other people you do realize the the little things that you might not notice when you're doing a project on your own i mean i started doing out projects on my own like or just with another designer and then you're so caught up in the work and then you're happy while you're working and oh this looks good this page is done this animation looks good but then when a studio or a person of a very high caliber comes along and you start working with them they are not i wouldn't say they're not happy but they recognize the final five percent that we can improve on to make it that much better and having that point of view while working with someone is very valuable to to learn a lot Mm. and i can imagine just even realizing that there is five percent more to to push for and i'm speaking from my own personal experience here like you might think oh i'm like okay at freelancing like i i can kind of do this like i'm okay and then you work with someone who's a lot better than you and you're like oh my god i have got so far to go like i i am not where i thought i was or at least the bar has just been raised but sometimes that gives you a sense of like imposter syndrome a sense of like ah what's the point of sharing my work online because there's so much better people in the community out there first of all have you experienced that and has that made you question whether you should put yourself out there in the way that you have sometimes yeah mostly at the beginning like i think we all have some sort of imposter syndrome at times or very regularly i think it all depends on maybe the weather or other factors as well just how you are as a person but yeah i've had that as well but i very quickly realized by you know watching stuff on youtube from other creators or the very famous people like chris doe and like I'm sure many other creators listen to that kind of advice that it's just very crucial to be out there even though you think or you might know that you're not as good as others after all that judgment has to be made by a client or someone that wants to work with you and not by yourself I mean there is always someone that's going to be happy with how that looks and I think it's part of the learning curve as well to to, to not fall into the trap of negative thoughts and being sad about the fact that there is others that better than you, but rather seeing them as like a, a goal to to get to 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 what levels you can grow to as well. I mean, if one can do it, another can do it as well. So, yeah, definitely, that's really strong advice there. So, essentially, you're saying squash that sense that you're not enough, and just and put yourself out there and keep showing up, and eventually you will become the person that you that you maybe want to become even if you feel that there is that gap you will you will close that only by pushing through 
Can I ask you about your design style? Because whenever I see one of your websites, I'm like, there it is. There's Ilya. Like, I, I, you can tell you've got a, um, a very strong design aesthetic that you've kind of, I feel like you've, you, you're really starting to own the GSAP space. You know, the animations, just, just from looking at a homepage loading, you're like, wow, okay, there's attention to detail, there's thought about typography, there's quite an interesting layout, and, and I think you've got a very clear aesthetic. How did you develop that aesthetic? Looking at other people's work, mostly, and experimenting a whole lot. Like, lately I've been doing mostly development work, so I went, I'm doing one or two design projects now, and I do feel like my skills, if you want to call them, got a bit rusty. Like, I definitely need to get back into it and just do personal stuff to to not lose my personal sense of how I like things. But yeah, I when I started being into websites about three years ago, was in university. We had like a, a semester of very basic web design classes and development classes as well. So basic HTML and CSS. And I quickly found people like Zenya Rinchuk from Synchronized on Dribble and other amazing creators, and I started following them, and I realized, like, oh, wow, this is what a website can look like as well, and not just the more standard layouts that we're also all familiar with, which we also have to build, but it's the unique stuff with the nice typography and the amazing eye to detail and just the full picture that was right, which really triggered me into trying to push boundaries on both sides of the website, so both the design and the development part as well. And coming back to that, I mean, so you've, you have got obviously design and dev skills. And I've heard different advice from different people about choosing the type of Webflow you want to be known as, which I think is quite an interesting idea. Like people say, you've got a niche. And for some people, that might mean the industry. For others, it might be the skill set. Like I am a Webflower. But then I've noticed that within the Webflow space itself, there are people who are kind of niching further than that. Like, I'm a Webflower that does white labeling for agencies. That's my thing. I'm super quick. That is my Webflow skill set. Or, you know, Jeff McAvoy, he's the Rive guy, right? So he's like, I do animations within Webflow projects as, as well as just doing Rive separately. But I mean, there's people that seem to be kind of niching within the Webflow space. And I wonder what your take is on should you be like a design and developer type Webflower or do you think that people should really focus in on being uh, as, as a Webflower or kind of how, how do you think about that and, and what's your take on that? I think the most important thing to do is what you like. <laughs> so yeah, I, I would definitely put that at the core. I mean, you have to be happy with what you're doing every single day. Of course, it has to make you money. But I think that's Ikigai as well. I don't know if you've heard of that concept, but it's like the the inner circle between doing what you like, what the world needs and what you're good at, because that's the thing you'll probably enjoy doing most. And for me, that was doing both design and development. And I found that having developed some sort of eye for design, it helps in creating a website that has attention to detail because if someone else designed it, and as a developer, you pay a lot of attention to the details and the animations and how they like it, 
I often hear like, oh, I like that you've noticed that or that the eye for design does help during the development process. So if you find yourself interested in that part, I would definitely explore that a lot to develop that eye for design. Maybe you don't have to take on a lot of design projects. Maybe you just do it for yourself, like personal stuff. When you do development work only, or maybe you do both and you take a project on from start to finish and you do both the design and development part. I think you just have to be happy with what you're doing. Awesome advice. So focus on what you enjoy as the first question. And then when you follow your intuition, like you follow your your interests, then hopefully you'll develop an interest that will then turn into a skill set, which will then turn into something that's valuable for a client to then pay you to do that thing. Yeah, I think once you start to get passionate about something, a lot of your motivation, like basically all of your motivation will be intrinsic. So you'll be excited to get up and get to work and do what you like. And the energy and that passion to what you're doing, it'll radiate on your work and the people that you meet online, perhaps. So yeah, I think really listening to your gut, to what you like is very important. Okay, this is an interesting take because some people have been like, okay, you got to look at the size of the market, then work backwards from there. Or like, there's a real gap in the spline webflow space right now. Like if you really dig into spline right now, you can be the spline webflow guy or whatever. And what you're saying is actually no, work less on what you think they want and more on what you personally want. And then that in turn is going to give you a portfolio of work that really truly represents you. And that the energy that you're giving out from that work is going to attract the the right type of people that you want to attract. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, from like the other standpoint, like looking at the market, as you mentioned, that can work for some as well. And perhaps by focusing on a gap that they identify, they develop a love and passion for what they're doing. So I think it can go both ways. It's just a matter of, are you willing to explore something that you're not into from the start? Or are you going to double down on the thing you already like and going to try and become really good at it? And it'll probably eventually attract others, like you mentioned. Yeah, it's a very fair point. There is no right way or wrong way. And, and you you make that point really clear that you need to work out what is best for you because there are many ways to skin a cat, as my mum would say. The weirdest phrase, do you know skinning a cat? Like, anyway, we'll leave that for another. Just ignore me. So to recap, niching is up to you, how you niche. You're probably not going to get it right the first time as well. I tried to do the market way where you look at it. You're like, hmm, there's no one in this niche. I'm going to own this space rather than thinking about what I'm passionate about. And I tried to be the yoga instructor webflow designer. The silence says it all. Anyway, we will, we will leave that in the past. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, your YouTube channel before we get into your failures. Talk to me why you started a YouTube channel and why you want to share your award-winning secrets, your secret source. Why do you want to share that? I've had an interest and like somewhere at the back of my mind to start teaching for longer now, maybe one or two years. Back when I was still in university, it was 
thinking of like after I graduate, I'd come back maybe as a part-time teacher just to give lectures for one day and be in front of the traditional classroom. I don't know why, to be honest. Probably because I've had some really, really nice teachers at my university that really fueled my passion and my interest. And they noticed that I was very passionate about the thing that I was doing. And they gave me like extra feedback and they had extra time for me. Probably because I felt really seen by them. I thought, okay, then I'd like to become that teacher for someone else as well. But then I quit school last year because the freelancing went very well. And I realized that there was still that desire to to teach. And because I've learned so much from, for example, Timothy Ricks, just for example, like I've learned a lot from that guy. It's insane. The knowledge and the, the value that he provides for free on his YouTube or on his Patreon, like it's all worth it. I was like, I want to give back from what I've learned and kind of fulfill that desire to teach in a way. So that's why I started the channel and I'm very grateful for all of the support so far. Like, it's really nice to read all the comments and some of my insecurities are like, am I too calm? Am I too serious? Am I too slow? And then it's the exact things that people point out in the comments, like, oh, I love how calm you explain things and how easy you make it look. So it's a bit like trying it out, seeing how it's received. And so far it's been very uh, well received and that's super nice. Awesome. Yeah, I think a lot of people in the Webflow space are they stick around in the Webflow space because of the community aspect where people really want to share, uplift, and and are generally really, really supportive. So I've heard a lot of people who start making content being like, well, I got so much help and, you know, I want to try and help anyone else that was in my position. So yeah, I think a lot of people listening might resonate with that. And I guess in terms of kind of how your day looks now, are you doing client work? Like, is is that pretty much your, your full-time thing? And then when you do something interesting or you might publish a project and then someone's like, hey, how did you do that? You're like, bingo, video idea. Is that kind of how your YouTube channel works and how your average day looks? Yeah, I think that last part is how it's going to work because yes, now I do full-time client work and... Like I've obviously built some a couple of sites already and I figured there was some nice ideas here and there and when it was not me who did the design, I asked permission like, hey, are you okay with me rebuilding that part of the animation and sharing that with people? So far, they are all were, which is super cool. But yeah, I think going forward, like client work is obviously going to be my main thing and then if I do some nice little stuff, I'll make a video on it if people ask and if I identify a potential video idea myself i'll just create them put it out there and see if others like it as well yeah where do you want to where do you want to go with all this what's the master plan i'm just so intrigued because you're 21 you've got award-winning websites you you've worked with all these big names like you started a youtube channel you've got this no code community stuff going on what what do you want to do with all this to be honest i don't know exactly yet <laughs> I'm currently just riding the train and seeing where it takes me. Like for now, for this year, like semi start off next year, I've just got the goal to have a real shot at winning that independent of the year on awards. At the start of this year in January, I set myself some goals for this year. And one of them was winning six side of the days. 
And somewhere in the back of my mind, I was like, oh shit, that's going to be real challenging. Because that's like one every two months. And it's ambitious. Since the one, the, the person that won last year, he had five. I was like, okay, I'll try and create six side of the day winning sites. I've got five so far this year. And we're, we just passed halfway. So I feel like setting really ambitious goals does help to to reach levels or or things that otherwise if that would have been the goal it wouldn't have been as satisfying to achieve them but i don't have like a real big master plan of where i want to be in five years i might not even be creating websites anymore i don't know are you ready to talk about failure number one okay Let's talk about this. Failure number one, saying yes to a branding project without asking enough questions. Yep. This was last year, at the start of last year. This branding project was referred to by someone who I already knew. And it was right before I moved to Milan. It was someone that lived quite close to where I lived. So I went to visit them. They had a small business and they wanted to have a rebrand. I was like, yeah, well, I'm excited. Like, I feel quite confident just designing a website. I can do some brand work around it as well. Like, I look at other brand work. I don't do it, but I look at it. So I'll, I'll probably figure out how it works. Then I moved to Milan and we had some extra calls remotely. and just started to work. But after the very first design round, like it ended up being three rounds in the end. But after the first round, I realized that it was like way off from where they wanted it to go like it was just not a visual direction uh, that suited the brand or the vision we had an extra call i asked questions which i should have asked before starting i thought i nailed it the second round and i sent it through with a lot of confidence and i got back like hey can we can we schedule another call like it's still not right and I was like, oh shit here we go and then after the third round like it was just a mutual decision to like this is not going to work because the visual style that they were after was something that I'm not confident doing at all. It was very illustrative and just super organic and just a visual style that I was not confident in creating at all. And so after the the third round, we just made the mutual decision to part ways and just call it a day. So it did end up friendly and positive, so no fights and arguments or any other thing. But I did realize when taking on such projects, it's very important to listen before your excitement takes over and getting a vision in your head on how you want the brand to look, which is actually was quite a selfish thing of me (laughs) to to think like, I'll do this branding project and I'll create something really beautiful and I've got something to share and I know what they want and how they want it to look. But I was way off, which is a bit of a reality check with myself as well. But I I mean, it sounds like the classic when you start out as a freelancer you're there you're hungry you're like yeah i can do this i'm gonna make the best brand identity you've ever seen and then and you kind of jump into the the visuals without like understanding the client's perspective as much as maybe maybe you need to 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 actually produce something that aligns with them because i think a lot of the time it's not even about it's not so much about creating beautiful visuals as much as making sure the client feels heard and understood and that their opinions have have made their way into visuals if that makes sense which is quite 
it's actually quite a substantial difference because I think when you study brand identity design, you're like, okay, 60, 30, 10 rule. And we got color palettes and we need to be like, right, are we having like an analogous color palette or whatever? And then actually it's more about like managing the people I've found when it comes to yeah branding projects and actually web design projects too. How have you developed your process as a freelancer then as well? Like coming off the back of that, you know, what did this, what did this project teach you about managing client expectations and maybe doing like strategy before doing anything visual? Well, the good old under promise and over deliver <laughs> is a thing that I've been trying to, to, to think of after that instead of the other way around. The old classic. Yeah. Where I was like very much like, oh yeah, we'll create something really beautiful. And I was almost the one exciting her for in during our first conversation on, on how great it was going to be, which is very stupid because you raised the bar like way higher than you could ever reach if you would, wouldn't do it. So that's definitely a very big learning like practical and not just reading it online. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I think you want to excite the client as to, you know, yes, we're going to do this together. And yes, we're going to go through this process together. And, and yes, we're going to, if we, if we do this together, well, then we will have a result, but you know, on the condition that we go through this process step by step together rather than focusing on visuals in the first call, I found that the client is so excited sometimes to send you, you know, their Pinterest board or something like in the first call. And you're like, whoa, cowboy, we need to, we need to just talk about some basics here. But yeah, it is, it is really hard when you do your first project because I think it's a big learning. And do you know when you're doing web design projects, like, with, do you get given brand guidelines now? And then it's like, okay, we've got our brand identity very, very clearly laid out. You know, we know what the header font's going to be, the body copy font, etc. Make us wireframes. Or how does, how does the process work for you at the moment? I haven't had a project like that for a long time. <laughs> so I'm doing two design projects right now. One is just starting over from complete scratch. It's a portfolio for someone. So there is quite a bit of freedom. There is no like big brand guidelines. They did mention that once the the project is done, they would like to, you know, go with that style that we created for the site and work the other way around where we then create some brand-ish guidelines from that for their other personal stuff. But again, that's just a, a personal portfolio, so nothing big. And the other project, it's a bit more of a project with a bit more rush so the brand guidelines have only just been finished the branding project but i'm doing the website for it and i've already done the wireframes without the visuals of course and i just got the like typefaces and colors so now i'm going to apply that into the web design well getting into the design phase so translating the wireframes to like a visual thing that must be quite stressful for you as someone that is as pixel perfect as you are. Yeah, it was my first time working with actual wireframes for like multiple pages and trying to, you know, convey the sections that we needed and the information that we need to tell without making it visual. Like we're just working with gray boxes and a boring sans serif font and placeholder text. 
yeah, that was challenging. Yeah, I imagine so. I, yeah, that gives me shivers. Just like, it's really, really hard to make wireframes without any idea of colors, copy. But I'm sure you did a better job than I did when I had a similar sounding project. Tell me about failure number two, not saying no and then burning out. I think that one speaks a bit for itself as well. <laughs> yeah, that's the end of the episode, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening. No, that was this was last year. And it kind of like about one, no, let's see. Yeah, about one year ago, I had my first vacation since starting freelancing. I make it sound very dramatic now because I haven't been doing this for a long time. But from the moment I started until like last year, I was just so excited to get all these project requests from everyone. I'm like, oh my God, all these people around the world, they want to work with me. And like, there's someone from the US and Australia and all these, you know, global places and people finding my, my work online and being excited. I was undercharging, which is also a big lesson, overpromising, just taking on as much work as I could and a bit too much. And then as soon as you hit one hiccup or one thing doesn't go as planned or as smooth or a deadline is being rescheduled, like things can get messy very quickly. And I just found myself like buried in work and it was too much. But then my holiday came in at just the perfect moment. <laughs> and I was really at this stage where like we went to Greece for two weeks, but I was telling myself like I want to bring my laptop because I need to. Like, I don't know, what if a client has an urgent request? I need to be able to do that. Even though I had communicated that I was going off for two weeks to everyone and everyone was okay with it and it fitted in our, our schedules, I was telling myself that I needed to bring my laptop. I was glued to that thing. And my girlfriend had to really convince me to not bring it. And then I was making up excuses like, oh, but if what, what if it's raining and we want to watch a movie or something? She's like, oh, we don't need to. You don't need to bring your laptop. So I ended up leaving it at home. And it was about after one week into our holiday, that my mind really started to shut off and get out of that way too busy working routine and, you know, getting back on earth almost. Sounds like your girlfriend was a healthy influence there. Oh, yeah, for sure she is. <laughs> but I think it, there is this weird mentality that sometimes you get as a, a freelancer where you just work way more than an average, like, nine to five, right? Like, you're just, you know, you might be like oh, i need to post something to twitter and it's like 9 p.m and you're like trying to make a nice like post on figma or whatever i think there's this weird freelancer mentality where you're kind of scared that if you don't really work then you don't know where your next client's coming from and you really want to please and i don't know if you found this but sometimes you can give so much of yourself to your work that you lose yourself a bit do you relate with that a lot, yes. Like, I was becoming my work. It was all I could think of, all I could talk of. Like, I was my work. And the the level of detail on how I was executing my work influenced my mood a lot, which is very unhealthy, of course. Like, you completely lose yourself in working. And then it ends up in being too much. And fortunately, like, that two-week break was enough to, you know, get back real fresh and just be really excited again. But if you take it too far, of course, you could have much worse consequences. Having had that experience, how do you now prevent getting to a place where you, your work kind of consumes your, 
your life. Trying to say more no more often. <laughs> and now since we, we moved to Antwerp here, we made some really amazing friends. We just hang with them a lot. We spend a lot of time together. We do fun stuff, which is something that last year I would have probably told myself nine times out of ten, like, oh, I don't have time for this. I need to work my entire Friday night until past midnight. Whereas now I know that, you know, just taking the healthy amount of time off and with your friends and behind not behind the laptop actually improves your energy and mood to work on the projects during the time that you do spend behind the laptop. Can I get an amen up in here? Yeah, I completely agree. I had this, I have, no, I think I still have this. I was going to say I had, I still have this. I'm still working on this, but I'll like, a Saturday or a Sunday, I'm like, okay, cool, now I can work on Webflow stuff or whatever. Now I'm going to write an article or whatever and, I, and I'll be like, okay, Saturday, I've got a day. And then I'll get up at like midday, start, I don't know, writing an article or going on Twitter or whatever. And then, and then the day kind of slips away and not only have I not really done the thing that I was going to do, but I've wasted one of my two precious days of the week where you know, that's my time to just go and explore or whatever. So yes, booking in fun stuff is the key. I think booking stuff in where it's like, this is a non-negotiable you're doing, you're going to, you know, I don't know, meet a friend or go take photos or whatever, whatever it is that you do, which is kind of sad, isn't it? That I need to book that in, but Hey, I'm working through this. Tell me about failure number three, taking on personal projects without having the time for them. It kind of relates to like the previous one, you know, having difficulty in saying no and just being scared to disappoint people like by not being able to help them because you're busy. So last year and at the start of this year, I had some experiences where friends reached out and I just wanted to help them. So I said, yes they had like a no or near to no budget and I just decided to to do it anyways because I was excited about the project or the the design was nice or I, or simply because I genuinely like them and I want to help them and then it's real client work like real client work sounds wrong I mean like paid client work people that have deadlines and they pay for something in my mind they somewhat come first even though they shouldn't because I decide to take on that free project. So I say yes to something and yes, I'll do this. And I end up not doing it or only half doing it or it takes way longer. Unfortunately, like there is always understanding from the other side. Like I know you're doing this for free, but it still doesn't sit well with me. And it's definitely something that I have to improve on. And I uh, still am learning from to not do that anymore. Like to really only take on a personal project and say yes to someone to help them when I've actually got the time to do it. Yeah, this is a, this is a big one that keeps coming up on the podcast where people say taking on work for friends and family can be more stressful than client work because there's this kind of, hey, can you help me with a website project? And as a result, you you don't treat them the same as a client which means that boundaries kind of get blurred where it's like, look, I need the assets in order to make this. And then your friend or, I don't know, brother or whatever will be like, 
yeah, sure, I'll get them to you, don't worry. And they don't really realize, like, you need them to kind of cooperate with you at the same pace in order to get something done, and things can drag, and then you might get annoyed with your friend, and your friend's just like, hey, man, come on, it's just a website project, and you're just like, well, yeah, but it's affecting my actual paid work, so I, I don't know, I've had the same thing. How do you, do you, do you now take on personal projects just as much as you did do you make it very clear at the start like yes i'm gonna be doing this for free but i need you to cooperate by this day or i won't do this or like do you do you charge your friends and family now when it's like look i need you to take this seriously so i'm gonna charge you how do you manage this trying to be very clear about expectations and managing that not saying it can be done in two weeks if it really can't um, so yes, I do. I do still work with friends um, and take on such projects. I don't charge them. I am not very strict on when I need the assets or anything. I do also feel like it can get a bit complicated or difficult once they have feedback, for example, on the project, because you can sense the fact that they know that it's for free and that you're doing this in your spare time or between client work. And they still want to give some feedback, but they don't want to be rude. And then it creates this weird consensus. And when it's a nice project, I'm always like, yeah, but but, but it, come on, like I'm, I'm doing it now. So please give me the feedback so I can improve this. And then it's trying to balance on this scale of like how much feedback on such things do I accept while doing this for free? Because like I, would, I wouldn't go 100 revision rounds with a client without saying anything. So yeah, it's about managing expectations, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think coming back to that point as well, like I found that setting very clear, like treating them as a client is really helpful because at the start, you're like setting the tone that's like, look, I'm not fucking around here. Like, yes, I'm doing this for free, but I need this by this day or this isn't happening. Okay, so okay, here's what we're going to do. Meeting here, meeting here, meeting here. Let's book the meetings right at the start. First call. Okay, here's the six-week plan. We're going to meet here. You're going to have the copy by this date. By this date, I need the assets. I need the photos. I need the podcast, if it's a podcast or whatever, and trying to be as clear as possible because otherwise they're like, you know, a muddy, a muddy Labrador in a living room great analogy came up with that on the spot i'm pleased but yeah perhaps i should i should do that more often indeed like just actually scheduling stuff and being really being more strict on such things such matters yeah i i, I haven't got a perfect answer for you at all by the way like i'm not saying I, I i've just found that if i treat them as a client then they see me as someone that has very limited time where at the start i was like yeah just get it to me whenever man and if you say that in the first meeting then no deadlines are ever hit is what i've found so far so if i come in hot to trot first meeting as if it's a client first meeting like hey what do you need like treat them like a client then they will treat me like a contractor that they've paid that's what i've found so far but still still working this stuff out i also really enjoy those personal projects though like they're fun like i think they're important in a in a strange way like i think they're that's where you can really 
explore. So I don't know. I want to do them, but I also want to do them with boundary setting because otherwise, you know, we're not just mates at the pub, like doodling around. Like I, I've got limited time. They've got limited time. Let's do this if we're going to do this properly. Are you ready for your final question, Ilya? Okay. What is your next failure going to be? The big old question. Hmm. The big old question. I don't really know, to be honest, exactly. There's not like this big thing that I've got coming up that might fail or will fail in some way. I think my next failure is probably going to be some little stupid thing, spending five hours coding an animation and realizing that I forgot a comma somewhere, for example. Those are the things that I encounter a lot right now. Okay. I mean, that doesn't sound like the biggest failure, but hey, that's totally fine. You know, perhaps it might be the YouTube channel that I get myself so caught up in a lot of work again, where I then put that on a lower priority and then kind of lose my momentum from the YouTube algorithm, for example, or just lose the, the motivation or interest to keep posting new videos every week. So perhaps that's going to be the, the next big failure. But yeah, it's a nice way of working, though, for myself as well, where I don't have to pressure myself too much and like, oh, want to make a video, what, what am I going to make it about? Opening up a previous project and seeing something that's nice. Thanks so much to Ilya for coming on the pod and thanks to you lot for listening. The bit of this episode that really tickled my pickle was when Ilya talked about niching. Now, I've heard a lot of people talk about assessing the market, judging where you can truly fit in, how to learn to talk the talk to specific client bases that may be lucrative, like dentists. Ilya talks about niching very differently, though. He suggests following your nose, working out what you authentically want to do with your time, and then letting that dictate your work and your niche. For Ilya, he has become known for his Easter eggs. Now, I'm not talking about the little chocolate ones. I'm talking about the little moments that delight the user when they're on one of his websites and there's some kind of section or interaction where he's turned something that could be very normal and beige into something that's multicolored, something that makes the user go, wow, that's cool. I didn't know that was there until there was this little mouse hover or whatever. His niche is therefore being really meticulous and explorative. And this has attracted particular types of clients that can't help but notice him, but really want that Ilya effect. But it's not like he initially set out to get particular clients. He just focused on what he truly enjoyed. And then he got better and better at that because he had a happiness leverage, because he was just naturally way more interested in it than other people or that particular aspect of Webflow freelancing, you know, making these little moments of joy for the user. And so the niche kind of found him. So I think that's a really important thing to think about, guys. Like, if you are really, really naturally interested in something, so much so that other people are like, whoa, why are you so interested in that? That's so weird. That's a really good indicator that you 
are finding something that you're naturally passionate about enough so that people will realize that and want to pay you for that. Powerful stuff. Next week, I'll be interviewing the mighty Mael Ruffini. This guy is Tambien Studios' secret source. He is another GSAP god, a little bit like Ilya Van Eck. So I'm super excited to talk to him. Some powerful failures that he's learned from that I cannot wait to share with you guys. Have a great week, Web Flavors.